chapter thirteen of the suffragette the history of the woman's militant suffrage movement by e sylvia pankhurst this librivox recording is in the public domain thirteen june nineteen hundred eight how mr gladstone's challenge was accepted the procession of thirteen thousand suffragists on june thirteenth the great hyde park demonstration on the twenty first of june and the demonstration of protest in parliament square on june thirtieth the time was now approaching when the women were to take up mr gladstone's challenge to them to show that they could rival the great franchise demonstrations which men had held in demanding the three reform acts of eighteen thirty two eighteen sixty seven and eighteen eighty five in the autumn of nineteen hundred seven long before the challenge had been made the women's social and political union had determined to hold a record meeting in hyde park on sunday june twenty first nineteen hundred eight the greatest meeting that had ever yet been held there was said to have numbered seventy-two thousand but it was determined that at the women's demonstration there must be gathered at least a quarter of a million people the organization of this great project was the work of many months and a large part of this fell to the share of our devoted treasurer mrs pethick lawrence her husband and mrs drummond who now began to be called our general mr lawrence carefully thought out the scheme for the seven great processions which were to march into hyde park by seven separate gates to mrs pethick lawrence was primarily due the introduction of the colours purple white and green which the union now adopted for its own the colours at once secured a most amazing popular success for although they were not even thought of until the middle of may before the month of june arrived they were known throughout the length and breadth of the land Note twenty seven as treasurer of the union mrs lawrence bore upon her shoulders the special responsibility of meeting the very heavy cost of the demonstration as well as the other great expenses which were now being incurred but that magnetic power of hers which had hitherto proved so invaluable to the movement was as infallible as ever whatever the sum she asked it was immediately paid down to make the forthcoming demonstrations known to every one an immense poster measuring thirteen feet by ten feet containing the photographs of the twenty women who were to preside at the twenty platforms from which the audience was to be addressed as well as a map showing the route of each of the seven processions and a plan of the meeting-place in hyde park was displayed upon the hoardings in london and all the principal provincial towns at a cost to the union of more than one thousand pounds our organizers stationed in various parts of the country arranged for thirty special trains to run from seventy different towns in order to carry contingents of women demonstrators from the various provincial centres at the same time london itself was systematically organized for the demonstration my experiences as organizer of the chelsea district which included also fulham and wandsworth are vividly present with me as i write at many of the open-air pitches from which we then spoke no woman's suffrage meetings had ever been held before but wherever we went our experiences were in their main essentials always the same our first meeting was usually almost wholly a fight to subdue a continued uproar on more than one occasion the little box of the chair used as a platform was overturned by a gang of hooligan youths and the meeting had to be abandoned but whatever may have happened at the first meeting in a fresh place we always found that at the second meeting the majority of the audience were sympathetic at the third meeting all was harmony and we were generally seen to our homeward trams or buses by cheering crowds those splendid people the suffragettes of kensington not only contrived to carry on a constant campaign of meetings but at the same time to make all their own banners and bannerets 
in the meantime the national union of women's suffrage societies in conjunction with a number of other organizations had decided to organize a woman's procession and on june thirteenth a week and a day before the hyde park demonstration some thirteen thousand suffragists assembled on the embankment and marched to the albert hall where a meeting was held it was a striking pageant with its many gorgeous banners richly embroidered and fashioned of velvets silks and every kind of beautiful material and the small bannerets showing as innumerable patches of brilliant and lovely colour each one varying both in shape and hue seventy of the larger banners had been prepared by the artists league for woman's suffrage some were blazoned with the figures of women great in history amongst them boadicea joan of arc and queen elizabeth others bore emblems commemorating women's heroic deeds or reforming achievements elizabeth fry lydia becker and mary wollstonecraft being amongst those recalled walking in the procession were many of lydia becker's comrades and contemporaries including the aged miss emily davies dr garrett anderson and her sister mrs fawcett the president of the national union of suffrage societies after these came a contingent of international suffragists australians americans with their stars and stripes headed by dr anna shaw and representatives from hungary russia south africa and other countries each with their national flags and colours the professional women were led by mrs ayrton and other scientists and a great band of medical women in their splendid robes of crimson and black with hoods of purple red and blue other graduates followed and the representatives of newnham and girton were in great force amongst the women writers headed by the scrivener's banner were beatrice harridan elizabeth robbins and evelyn sharp then came the artists the actresses next the nurses all in uniform and after these a host of others gardeners pharmacists physical trainers typists and shorthand writers shop assistants factory workers and homemakers next came the militant women's freedom league the women's cooperative guild the national union of women workers and the members of various women's organizations connected with the political parties including the women's liberal associations and the women of the independent labor party and the fabian society altogether the procession was acknowledged to be the most picturesque and effective political pageant that had ever been seen in this country and every newspaper spoke of its impressive dignity and beauty now the women's social and political union and all whom they could press into the service were busily engaged on a ten days crusade for the winding up of the hyde park demonstration campaign how the women worked they held innumerable meetings they went out canvassing from door to door they stood in the streets with flags and posters they distributed handbills broadcast chalked announcements upon the pavements and met the workmen's trains to give out little purple white and green mock railway tickets a million of which had been printed on the thursday evening before the demonstration mrs drummond and a dozen other members of the union set sail for the houses of parliament in a steam launch decorated with banners and posters announcing the demonstration at the little tables on the terrace many members including mr lloyd george were entertaining their lady friends at afternoon tea when the sound of a band playing heralded the suffragettes arrival every one crowded to the water's edge as the boat stopped and mrs drummond began to speak she invited all members of parliament and especially cabinet ministers to join the women's procession to hyde park on the twenty first of june assuring them that it was their duty to inform themselves as to the feelings of the people 
she twitted the government who were supposed to be democratic with remaining always behind barred gates under the protection of the police and urged come to the park on sunday you shall have police protection there also and we promise you that there shall be no arrests the members appeared both pleased and interested and many more came flocking out to listen but somebody a waiter it was said hurriedly telephoned to the police and in a few moments inspector scandlebury with a number of officers appeared on the terrace whilst at the same time one of the police boats hove in sight seeing this the suffragettes steamed away on sunday the twenty first we were busy early in the morning for the processions were to start between one and two the people who were expected to begin to assemble at least a couple of hours before that time all london seemed to have turned out to see us and all along the chelsea embankment which was thronged with people were coffee stands costermongers and hawkers selling badges and programmes in the purple white and green when the moment for starting came our chelsea procession numbered some seven thousand people but the dense crowds of bystanders marched with us too and grew in a countless number as we moved along so that instead of one procession we had formed three the central one being composed almost entirely of women wearing white dresses and scarves of purple white and green and carrying banners in the same colours the whole road was filled with people moving with us and from balconies windows and tops of buses people cheered and waved the same thing was happening in each of the other six districts at the head of each procession rode policemen on horseback and numbers of constables walked on either side of the ranks in order to keep the way clear six thousand police in all accompanied the seven processions the police authorities being most helpful and courteous toward us throughout the arrangements in hyde park the railings for over a quarter of a square mile had been taken up for us in order to add a further open space to that which is usually open in the neighbourhood of the reformers tree in the centre of this meeting-ground a furniture van was stationed to serve as an impromptu conning tower those who stood there watching saw first the fine procession from marylebone with great crowds marching in on either side sweep into the quiet grassy space and then one after another from the seven different gates the rest of the seven processions with their accompanying armies come streaming in before we arrived from chelsea the whole ground was a surging mass of people and it was with difficulty that we made our way to the platform which had been reserved for us once we gained it we clambered hastily on to our lorry and looked around with wondering and astonished gaze as far as the eye could reach was one vast mass of human beings not black as crowds usually are but coloured like a great bed of flowers because of the thousands and thousands of women all dressed in the lightest and daintiest of summer garments whilst even the men had most of them come out in cool greys and were wearing straw hats over the whole of the area there was to be seen not a single blade of grass who could attempt to estimate the number of people that were present they were innumerable they defied calculation and there was no one of us who had ever imagined that we should see so many people gathered together the sky was a perfect blue the sun poured down on us everyone seemed to be in a holiday mood just as they were in holiday dress and during the time in which the people waited for the speakers to begin perfect good humour reigned then bugles were sounded from the conning tower and the speeches at each of the twenty platforms began probably less than half the people could hear the speakers but that was of small account they had come here to show their sympathy with votes for women 
and to take part in the greatest demonstration the world had ever seen and if they stood there the whole of the afternoon without catching a single sentence they had been well rewarded at most of the platforms there was nothing but the kindliest sympathy except at the platforms of mrs pankhurst and christabel where a number of rowdy and ignorant young men attempted to prevent the speakers from being heard at five o'clock the bugle sounded and the resolution calling upon the government to give votes to women without delay was put and carried at every platform in most cases without dissent then the bugle was heard again and the cry one two three and the assembled multitude as they had been asked to do shouted votes for women three times and then that great and wonderful gathering began slowly to disperse next morning every newspaper devoted long columns to the demonstration in the course of a long descriptive account the special correspondent of the times said its organizers had counted on an audience of two hundred fifty thousand that expectation was certainly fulfilled and probably it was doubled and it would be difficult to contradict any one who asserted that it was trebled like the distances and numbers of the stars the facts were beyond the threshold of perception the standard said from first to last it was a great meeting daringly conceived splendidly stage managed and successfully carried out hyde park has probably never seen a greater crowd of people the daily news said there is no combination of words which will convey an adequate idea of the immensity of the crowd around the platforms the daily express the woman suffragists provided london yesterday with one of the most wonderful and astonishing sights that have ever been seen since the days of Boadicea. it is probable that so many people never before stood in one square mass anywhere in england men who saw the great gladstone meeting years ago said that compared with yesterday's multitude it was as nothing the daily chronicle said never on the admission of the most experienced observers has so vast a throng gathered in london to witness an outlay of political force after the great meeting was over its organizers returned to clement's inn and christabel pankhurst immediately wrote to the prime minister forwarding the resolution that this meeting calls upon the government to grant votes to women without delay which had just been carried by that great gathering at the same time she asked what action the government would take in response to the demand mr asquith replied that he had nothing to add to the statement the so-called promise of a reform bill which he had made to the deputation of members of parliament on may twentieth the wonderful hyde park demonstration the greatest meeting that had ever been held and the impressive procession of the women's societies both of which had been held within a few days space had therefore it seemed made no impression upon the government seeing therefore that to argue further would be a mere waste of time the women's social and political union immediately decided to take action hitherto through all the hard battles which the suffragettes had fought outside the house of commons they had never asked the general public to come to their aid but now that the great people's demonstration in hyde park had been thus contemptuously ignored it was decided to call upon both men and women to attend another monster meeting on june thirtieth to be held this time in parliament square in order that the government could not fail to see the commissioner of police replied by issuing a warning to the public not to meet in parliament square on the ground that danger would necessarily arise from the assembling of a large number of persons in that restricted area through which the way must be kept for members of parliament 
meanwhile the wspu again and again urged mr asquith to receive a deputation but he still refused and at last he was informed that the deputation would start from the women's parliament on june thirtieth and would wait upon him at the house of commons at half-past four that afternoon once more he returned a refusal to see the women but mrs pankhurst herself replied as their leader that the deputation would arrive at the appointed hour next day mrs pankhurst mrs pethick lawrence and eleven other women set out from the caxton hall at the main entrance of the building superintendent wells was waiting with a body of some twenty constables and at his orders as soon as the thirteen women had emerged the doors were locked and even the pressmen begged in vain to be released then the superintendent constituted himself the leader and protector of the deputation and led them quickly through the cheering crowds who pressed forward pushing and struggling to catch a glimpse of the little band of women straight up victoria street he led them and right to the door of the stranger's entrance where they were met by the burly and familiar form of inspector scantlebury surrounded by his minions he stepped forward and addressed mrs pankhurst gravely are you mrs pankhurst and is this your deputation he asked she answered yes and he said i have orders to exclude you from the house of commons has mr asquith received my letter she questioned him in turn and replying yes the inspector drew the document from his pocket adding in response to a further inquiry that mr asquith had sent no message of any kind by way of reply then inspector scantlebury turned away and walked into the house leaving behind him a strong force of police to guard the door for an instant or two the women stood there baffled but they had to remember the resolve that this effort to interview the prime minister should be entirely peaceful moreover there was the mass meeting of the evening they therefore merely turned and made their way back to the caxton hall meanwhile larger and larger crowds were flocking towards parliament from every direction and long before eight o'clock the time at which they had been asked to assemble it was estimated by the newspapers that more than one hundred thousand people had collected in parliament square the police had made the most extensive preparations to prevent any meeting being held and it was said that more than five thousand ordinary constables and upwards of fifty mounted men had been requisitioned for this purpose when at eight o'clock the women sallied forth in groups from the caxton hall to speak to the great multitude that had assembled in response to their appeal the scene was already becoming turbulent there were no platforms to speak from and it would have been useless to provide them for the police would instantly have dragged them from the ground but it is possible to hold a meeting without official sanction and to make speeches without platforms and the women bravely essayed the task some of them clung to the railings of palace yard to raise themselves above the crowd others mounted the steps of the offices in broad sanctuary others the steps of the government buildings at the top of parliament street opposite the abbey whilst others again merely spoke from the pavement wherever and whenever the police would cease for an instant from driving them along every woman who attempted to speak was torn by the harrying constables from the spot where she had found a foothold and was either hurled aside and flung into the dense masses that were being kept constantly on the move or placed under arrest meanwhile the crowd was always surging and swaying forward shouting out mingled cheers and jeers some groups of the men stood with linked arms around the women who were striving to make speeches bodies of others pushed little bands of suffragettes forward against the rows of constables with cries of votes for women we'll get you to the house of commons and back up the women and push them through 
again and again the police lines were broken and again and again the mounted men charged and beat the people back mr lloyd george mr winston churchill mr herbert gladstone lord rosebery and other members of both houses stood in palace yard and near the stranger's entrance watching the scene as it became dark the disorder grew and gangs of roughs who supported neither the government nor the women kept making concerted rushes sweeping the rest of the people on before them absolutely heedless of trampling others underfoot in some cases isolated women were surrounded by them and with difficulty rescued from their ill-treatment by the soberer and more respectable members of the gathering but undaunted either by violence from the roughs or from the police the suffragettes though their slight frames were bruised and almost worn out by the constant battering of those who were so much heavier stronger and more numerous than themselves still continued to address the throng every woman who was arrested was followed to the police station by a stream of cheering people and was saluted with raised hats and waving handkerchiefs as mr asquith passed from the house of commons to downing street in his motor-car he was hooted by the crowd he arrived home to find his windows broken for mrs lee and mrs new had driven swiftly past the guardian policeman at the entrance to the street in a taxicab and had each thrown two small stones through two of the lower windows of number ten before an arm of the law had been stretched out to drag them away to cannon row meanwhile miss mary phillips had endeavoured to dash into the house of commons by way of palace yard in the midst of a little company of parliamentary waitresses but half-way across the yard had been seized and dragged back miss lena lambert had chartered a little rowing-boat and had set off in the darkness to reach the house from the riverside crowds of members were lounging on the lighted terrace that hot summer's night when she and her little craft appeared out of the darkness to urge them to determine that the simple measure of justice which was being so hardly fought for should be carried into law but not many words had she spoken when the police-boat swooped down on her and she was towed away lest she should irritate and annoy the people's representatives by telling them of the battle whose dull roar nothing could shut out so the night wore on and that weary fight continued not until twelve o'clock did the police at last succeed in clearing the streets and it was then found that twenty-nine women had been arrested next morning twenty-seven of the women were brought up at westminster police court before the magistrate mr francis and were charged with obstructing the police in the execution of their duty with the usual callous haste their trial was hurried through the magistrate had always had all the political rights that he cared to use and would not trouble to imagine what it is like to be without them he testily brushed aside the defence of the women that the government had driven them to adopt these methods of obtaining the franchise and that mr asquith by his ignoring of the great hyde park demonstration had taught them once and for all the uselessness of peaceful propaganda the sentences ranged from one to three months imprisonment in the second division mrs lee and miss new were dealt with separately at bow street but as this was not generally expected very few people were present in the dimly lighted court with the magistrate in his high-backed chair regarding them sternly from deep cavernous eyes the two little women in the great dock with its heavy iron railings looked strangely forlorn what dreadful sentence we wondered was in store for these the first of the suffragettes to deliberately throw stones mr musket in prosecuting them for doing wilful damage to the value of ten shillings at the prime minister's residence spoke of them with extreme harshness urging that they should be sent to prison without the option of a fine though the magistrate rebuked the women for the methods they had adopted we felt that he was impressed by their demeanour and that he was loath to sentence them 
he ordered that they should go to prison for two months in the third division without the option of a fine the sentence was heavy enough but lighter than we had feared in view of the fact that many of the other women were to remain in prison for three months when the house of commons met on the same afternoon several members of every party in the house asked as they had done on previous occasions that the women should be treated as political offenders as before however mr gladstone sheltered himself behind the statement which nobody believed that the magistrate was alone responsible for placing the women in the second and third divisions and that he himself had no power to interfere on the morning after the raid the newspapers had mostly contented themselves with rebuking the women for what they had done and by mr gladstone's refusal to mitigate the rigours of the prison treatment the country was now overwhelmed by one of those terribly oppressive heat-waves which come upon us suddenly from time to time and are borne with such difficulty in our usually temperate climate and there gradually leaked out from holloway accounts of the suffragist women fainting in the exercise yards and being seized with illness in their cells note twenty eight there happened to be some cases of measles in the prison hospital and miss elsie howie having contracted the disease there was exceedingly ill for many weeks all these things combined to focus public attention upon the harsh treatment of the suffragette prisoners on july tenth the manchester guardian in a leading article said it demands considerable obtuseness to believe as some persons apparently do that close confinement in the heat of summer or the cold of winter within a solitary and unwholesome cell deprival of exercise for twenty-three hours out of the twenty-four subjection to menial authority ignorance of the welfare of one's friends the performing of dull and alien tasks deprivation of writing materials partial suffocation and the wearing of ugly ill-fitting clothing that has already been worn by the vilest criminals are for delicate and sensitive women the elements of a comedy they compose a great and terrible torture because they are suffering for an idea their stringent imprisonment is indefensible it violates the public conscience and the law and the courts cannot wage war on the public conscience without forfeiting respect and authority footnotes twenty seven other suffrage societies soon afterwards also adopted colours the women's freedom league chose yellow white and green and the national union of women's suffrage societies red white and green twenty eight the efforts of dr mary gordon the first lady inspector of prisons who had been appointed during the previous april admittedly owing to the publicity given to the condition of women in prison by the suffragettes now secured that when exercising in the future the women should be provided with cotton sunbonnets by her advice the prisoners were also supplied with notebooks and pencils but the latter privilege was afterwards withdrawn eventually she succeeded in abolishing the unsanitary wooden spoon at any rate for suffragette use End of chapter 13